Welcome back to The Leaders We Need. I am Joel Harder. Today on the podcast, we're going to wrap up with the second part of my conversation with Judge Ken Starr. In the previous episode, Judge Starr shared what he calls the great principles that really define the American experience. These are the principles of autonomy, freedom of conscience, equal treatment under the law. These principles are then applied to specific areas of public life protected by the First Amendment, such as speech, press, the freedom of assembly, and so on. They are at the core of what you might call the American DNA, the basic building blocks for life as part of this society, indissoluble across the spectrum of individual endeavors and ambition. And they all begin with and flow from the very first constitutionally protected right for all citizens, religious freedom. Be sure to check out the previous episode of The Leaders We Need to hear that part of the conversation. Now, it's an understatement to say Judge Starr is a scholar on religious liberty, and he has argued religious liberty cases before the Supreme Court himself. He has a new book coming out in a few weeks, Religious Liberty in Crisis, Exercising Your Faith in an Age of Uncertainty from Encounter Books. You can pre-order a copy now wherever books are sold. In this part of the conversation, I asked Ken to share practical advice for how to navigate difficult conversations about religious liberty. Perhaps you're talking to someone and maybe you view it in very positive ways, the heart of a lot of these core principles that define the American experience, but the person you're talking to views it negatively as some sort of legal construct that simply allows discrimination or marginalization. And I asked him to give guidance on how to navigate those conversations so they can be thoughtful, sincere, civil, compelling, and productive. I also asked him what he believes we can expect for religious liberty issues in the short and long-term future. Coming up in the next few weeks on The Leaders We Need, I also want to tell you I'm going to be joined with a number of current and former legislators from the Oklahoma State Capitol, asking them to give us some insight into what's happening right now in the legislative session as we're now really moving into the last half and quickly just the last few weeks of session. I'm excited also to share a new initiative from Oklahoma Capital Culture that's going to launch this summer. So make sure that you are subscribed to The Leaders We Need. Wherever you get your podcasts, you can subscribe to The Leaders We Need there. Give us a five-star rating. Share these episodes with others, especially when you hear a conversation that's really compelling and interesting to you and you think would be helpful for others. And also leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you Well, let's get into my conversation with Judge Ken Starr today on The Leaders We Need. Capital culture has enabled a different and a new atmosphere in state politics. This is The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a podcast going beyond the politics and policies to focus on the people who lead in our communities, states, and nation. Conversations that restore the civility we need in our politics, while promoting the integrity we need in our leaders. The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a resource from Oklahoma Capital Culture. We're clearly tribalizing as a culture, and there's a lot being said about that. And 
there may be an impulse to hear religious liberty and say, well, that's an important positive thing for me as a person of faith or my faith community or and maybe some other faith communities. But what would you hope for a person who is not a person of faith to read your book and take away from it? Well, I have a, a chapter that I had called American Grace, and we named it Redemption and Reconciliation. But I could easily call it American Grace because this is now fact. This is not opinion. The fact is that America's religious communities, but especially because of our, our traditions, uh, the various and sundry Christian communities and so forth, have done good works, right? And uh, a Harvard sociologist and renowned, perhaps the leading sociologist in the United States, Robert Putnam, with a, a colleague, wrote this book entitled American Grace. Mm-hmm. That is, churches and religious institutions do good things in the community. So you can be a secularist, total secularist, be an atheist or agnostic, and yet you can look culturally and sociologically and say, you know, we're a better place because of the good works that churches and church-affiliated organizations do. Think of your own community, wherever you are. Oh, yeah, that may have begun as a ministry, and guess what? It ripened into, now it's on standalone 501c3. One of my favorite examples is out of our home church here in Waco. Emerged a wonderful 501c3 called Unbound, Mm -hmm. which works on the terrible scourge of human trafficking. Mm -hmm. These precious victims of uh, human trafficking, sexual slavery, uh, labor slavery, and so forth. Well, guess what? It began in a church. My brother's keeper, Grace House. I could keep going just yeah. right here in my own local community of uh, of Waco, which has what the sociologists call enormous amounts of social capital. I wish we were richer as the world. <laughs> we don't have Jeff Bezos and, and and the Seattle crowd and the Silicon Valley crowd, but people gather together in in community to say, okay, here's a need. How do we address that need? And guess what? De Tocqueville noted that very thing, that we come together in these organizations called churches and we do good things. Now, he was not inventing something, and he he didn't see that in his own France, right, with the established church. That was not the you look to the government or or whatever. But here in our nation, historically, of volunteerism, and here's language from the Northwest Ordinance of 1787, Continental Congress, repassed by the first Congress meeting in New York in 1789. Here are the literal words. Religion, morality, and knowledge being necessary to good government and the happiness of mankind. Mm -hmm. Schools and the means of education shall forever be encouraged. That's the policy of the United States. You'd say, well, wait a second. That seems inconsistent with the Establishment Clause. Why are you encouraging religion? Because it fosters goodness and kindness, mm-hmm. the fruits of the Spirit again. Yeah. You do good works, right? You don't go out persecuting people. And, of course, we have issues in certain communities with respect to that. There's no question. And there's no question about the history. But if you look at contemporary church and religious life in the United States, these are institutions that do well and encourage human flourishing outside the sanctuary, 
outside the Sunday school. Yeah. Our time is just flying by. I would really love for you to walk me and, and all of us who are listening to, to this conversation through some practical guidance you would have. Uh, right now, there's been some public polling that's gone out, and what we're sensing and seeing is that there are those who hear the term religious liberty and they perceive it negatively. As, that's just a legal construct that permits marginalization or discrimination of certain people, and they, they hear religious liberty negatively. How would you practically advise and give guidance to someone who who sees religious liberty as this positive, this great positive historically and even today, to have a conversation with someone that may be hearing it and thinking of it negatively? What guidance would you give yeah. to them? Well, in particular on what I think is a cutting edge issue at the moment, and that is discrimination. Mm-hmm. Discrimination based on sexual orientation, a gender identity, and so forth. You religious folks are inflicting harm on us because of your traditional views. And I think the response to that is, and this is what the book tries to do, I'm called to treat every human being with dignity and respect. Mm -hmm. I'm also called by my ancient (laughs) religious view. I didn't make it up. And the Abrahamic faiths, here is the view of what marriage is and was meant to be. I'm not trying to impose that on you. I'm just saying, this is where I stand. And it's not idiosyncratic. It's Mm -hmm. not eccentric. Uh, It is shared by millions upon millions of people around the globe in different houses of faith. So how do we live together with our deep differences? Mm -hmm. Let's have a conversation about that. And, well, what about this baker who was uh, unwilling to bake a cake to celebrate a wedding? Well, let's talk about Jack Phillips's case, the so-called masterpiece cake shop case. Did you know that, that Jack's store is open to everyone? And he's in a suburb of Denver, Colorado, and he has gay, lesbian, LGBTQ customers. He treats everyone with dignity and respect. And he'll sell you anything in the store. But he's also a cake artist. He creates artistic. So someone comes in and says, here's my sexual orientation, gender identity, I'm transgen, et cetera. Welcome. (laughs) Delighted to have you in the store. Now I want you to bake a cake to celebrate. And here's a real example that came out in his case. To celebrate my divorce. I'm free at last. Thank God Almighty. I'm free at last. I'm sorry, I can't do that. Hey, my kids are celebrating Halloween. Could you create a great... I'm sorry, I can't do that because I have this view. And so do you see what I'm saying? That what we try to do is understand what it is behind the concern. And now we've seen very recently that the Catholic Church has reiterated the traditional stand. So we don't stand alone, but let's find, see if we can't find common ground here to respect you, to respect this relationship that you have. But please don't ask me to celebrate it by the use of my artistry and music and uh, our bake shop and floral arrangements and so forth. Now, you're not going to get agreement with everybody, but at least what I've tried to articulate 
in a very inartful way is at least to show that we have a reasoned and compassionate way of articulating. Here is why Jack Phillips, the baker, is doing what he's doing. This book will help us understand and explain it to people of goodwill. Will we convince everyone? Of course not. Well, and there's consistency in that conviction and the principle and the way you articulated that for me. He's not singling out a specific issue or person, and this is the only thing that's applied to. No, he's standing on the principle, as you've said, of valuing the dignity of all people and and also the principle of his convictions about certain things. I've often thought of religious liberty as really the freedom to be a whole person in public mm-hmm. life. You don't mm-hmm. have to set aside a certain part of who you are to engage in public life, and yet you also don't target specific people for specific reasons. It's just bringing your whole self into public life to seek good for those that you engage with and be, be in community with. That's beautifully put. And I must say, uh, if all else fails, we can always invoke, rightly, Martin Luther King Jr. And to say that his was not a Christian perspective and so forth, which is is, is wrong and certainly profoundly unfair to, to his worldview, his vision, and so forth. And he, as you know, Joel, wanted to make sure that people knew that the Southern Christian Leadership Conference was nonviolent because that was an issue. The cause is just, so the argument goes, so let's use violence. No, Dr. King said, and that's why we want to name our organization the Southern Christian Leadership Conference to signal to the world that we're nonviolent. We will engage in civil disobedience, Mm -hmm. and that's totally biblical, right? To I must obey God rather than than man, said the early uh, apostles, and so they civilly disobeyed. Nelson Mandela was such a great man. He's not known as a man of faith. I want to make sure I, I flag this because it's so true. It goes back to the American grace, the role of churches. When he emerged... Uh, into public life after those many years of terrible imprisonment, he gave such tribute to the missionaries Mm -hmm. that the good that he saw in his own country could be directed and attributed to the missionaries over those many years. His people, his people had so benefited and prospered from what the missionaries had done. This is what religion does Pure and undefiled religion is this, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Do good works. And the good works were, for those of the Christian and biblical perspective, these works were prepared for us in advance. And so we're to be out there hustling to, yeah. <laughs> to do good works. Well, that makes society better. Right. So let's learn to live together as opposed to condemnatory and say, well, you have this view and I don't like that view, so uh, out you go. We don't even need to listen to you. We're going to cancel you here mm-hmm. in the cancel culture. So, no, let's 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 have a conversation about that. Yeah. Well, I go back to the fruit of the spirit passage you you mentioned and and this the good it's done and as we walk through this age of uncertainty, as as we walk through points of conflict and, and a moment of crisis, the words of Paul following the list of the fruit of the Spirit are, are just as true. Don't grow weary in doing good and doing mm. good works. Don't don't stop. And 
I think you've given a, a really excellent resource and a tool to help people think through these issues and have those conversations. But whether people agree with us or not, or see the value in, in the perspective or not, we still persevere in doing good. Don't grow weary in doing good. Whether people agree with the book or, or disagree with the comments in the book, where, where do you see the future of this religious liberty conversation going in our country? I think we uh, have entered a time of uh, a vigorous debate. I'm hopeful uh, that people of goodwill uh, will uh, perhaps just agree to, to disagree, uh, but to see these beautiful enduring values of faith in society, faith translated into good works, in caring for one another, caring for the poor. Uh, you know, when the pandemic broke out, and I talk about this in the book, what happened? There were people of faith flocking to New York, healthcare providers, mm -hmm. nurses, and so forth, who said, as did the early church, we're just going to throw ourselves into this need and try to do the best we can with our skill set and so forth and to be a beautiful uh, example. And and this activity was honored. Thank you. You know, the, the pandemic was and is terrible. We're thankful for the vaccine mm. by God's grace and human ingenuity and, and, and hard work. But let's come together and see if we can't say, you know, we can live together with our deepest yeah. differences, but we have to treat one another. We need, we don't have to, but we should really treat one another with respect rather than be dismissive and just say, no, I disagree with you and I don't even want to hear your voice. There will be those, but we have to, those of us who do have a religiously informed perspective and worldview, need to be able to engage in reasoned and persuasive discourse. Mm -hmm. We won't persuade everyone, but we will at least be able to stand our ground. Here I stand, <laughs> to the Apostle Paul said, stand firm. But we don't just stand firm stubbornly, but we stand firm in a winsome way with very, very persuasive arguments that are grounded in who we are as a people with principles that go all the way back to the mother country in Magna Carta. We have a mighty foundation on which to prepare ourselves for the current battles that are raging and I think are going to intensify. Well, Judge Ken Starr, thank you so much, and thank you for this work that you've done. It's It could not be more timely, and I, I really appreciate it. Where can people get the book? Wherever books are sold, as yeah. I said. You can pre-order now. The publication date is April 13. Mm -hmm. But obviously, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, yeah. and so forth, you can pre-order. You can go to just Ken Starr. It's very simple. A religious liberty uh, in crisis. And so, uh, it, it pops up immediately. And so uh, I hope that people will be moved to, and I appreciate so much your encouraging people to actually use this book. Well, thank you, sir. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you, Joel. Thank you for listening to The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder a podcast from Oklahoma Capital Culture. Oklahoma Capital Culture is a nonprofit organization shaping a culture of civility, integrity, and servant leadership among policymakers through nonpolitical and nonpartisan engagement. Learn more about Oklahoma Capital Culture and how you can help shape the leadership culture at www.capitalculture.com. 
Original music heard on The Leaders We Need, provided by Scott Allen Matthews at mypodcastmusic.com.